For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Elliot the Elk may sound like a cartoon character, but boy, is he real. Elliot made headlines after being removed from his home near the town of Sweet, Idaho. Unfortunately, the headlines surrounding Elliot fit a common theme. Someone had been feeding the young bull for so long that he's lost his fear of humans. To make matters worse, Elliot completely lost the other elk. As I mentioned in episode 20 of Cal's Week in Review, we're into the breeding season which can make elk super aggressive. Deer and elk have been lethally removed from many urban areas across the country because of aggressive mating season-related behavior. Behavior that has resulted in serious human injuries in some cases. But this particular elk has a name and a Facebook page. So he was picked up by Idaho Fish and Game and relocated to Bear Valley, Idaho. Bear Valley, Idaho, is not the home of Barry Bear or Billy Bear or Yogi Bear. It's just a spot in Idaho. Officials hoped Elliot would have his best chance at reconnecting with elk there. You know, I just realized I'm contributing to the problem by bowing to the anthropomorphized vision naming an animal promotes. From here on, when I say the bull or young bull, I am referring to the, you know, uh, one who shall not be named. Got it? Good. Like I was saying, when the young bull was moved from his first location to the second, folks hoped that he would somehow learn to be an elk again. But he just made more headlines. This time, the young bull made the papers by hanging out with a group of archery hunters camped outside Bear Valley for Idaho's opening week of archery elk season. This group of hunters recognized the young bull both by his behavior and his recent time in the spotlight. The elk hung around camp and even bedded down within 10 yards of the hunters, reportedly as wolves sang in the background. 
when Idaho Fish and Game eventually showed up to, quote, capture the bull, which the capture apparently involved opening the stock trailer door and then the bull just hopped in because that's how he got to the place. Imagine that. They found him surrounded by archery elk hunters, making sure no one caused the young bull any harm. These hunters knew the bull lacked any education from his elk peers, and they wanted to avoid a nasty social media firestorm. If some unsuspecting hunter were to see a winter's worth of steaks and roasts rather than a social media celebrity and put an arrow through them, you can imagine the ensuing backlash. Currently, the young bull resides in the custody of Idaho Fish and Game, who are trying to find him a home. Several facilities outside the state of Idaho will take in hard luck cases like this one, an animal robbed of his wildness, whose best remaining option is to spend his life in captivity. Due to the potential spread of diseases like chronic wasting disease, however, transporting live cervids across state lines is prohibited unless the states are certified as CWD free, which Idaho is not. Consequently, this homeless elk will be denied even the comparatively sad fate of pacing around a zoo at this point. Sad for the elk, but also a burden on fishing game who now have to deal with caring for this animal. Idaho Fishing Game receives zero dollars from general taxpayers. Hunting and fishing license sales, aka sportsmen and women, pay for all of this, not the person who literally fed this expensive situation into existence. I couldn't even find a mention of a fine or ticket being issued. This brings me back to another point I made in last week's episode. Quit feeding wildlife. I don't care how cute or majestic you think they are. I don't care what kind of relationship you think you have with them. You haven't found your spirit animal. Feeding wild creatures robs them of their wildness, and in some cases, their actual lives. Cut it out. I feel like this elk feeder missed one of life's most valuable responsibility talks. You know, the one you got when you were a kid and wanted a pet? A gerbil, a cat, a dog, a goldfish, whatever the species, the talk is the same. Being as I have never had children, I thought I would bring in a pro, Meat Eater's own Giannis Patelis. You want a what now? Are you sure? That is a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. You understand me? Animals are expensive. How do you think you're going to pay for it? What if the damn thing gets sick? I want you to know this. They eat a lot of food, and then they poop it out. And I know you say you're going to pick it up, but I'm going to hold you to it, damn it. You can't just give it away if you get bored with it. And if it grows huge antlers and skewers some kid on their way to school, that's going to be on you. You hear me? You know, that speech. Thank you, Giannis. Moving off the soapbox and onto the show, we all know fall is the most magical time of year, and if you're like me, you'll be putting on a lot of miles getting to places to hunt, fish, and enjoy the cool air and fall colors. I suggest you keep some power in your vehicle in the form of the world's number one chainsaw steel. I sure do. Battery power steel saws are lightweight, clean, quiet, and you can throw them in the back of the truck without worry of gas spilling all over your hunting gear or camping equipment. If that's not enough, my mother once used an electric chainsaw to remove a section of kitchen cabinets from the actual kitchen. So, you know, they're versatile. This week, we've got buying and selling game meat the UK way. Really old milk, broken legs, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. It seems I've always traipsed across the U.S. I've met a ton of people and made a lot of great friends and connections. 
Earlier this year, I was in New Mexico, a state that I have always loved, to talk uh, conservation with New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Fun fact about NMWF, it was founded by Aldo Leopold. If you don't know who he was, go find yourself a copy of a Sand County Almanac right now. Another fun fact, New Mexico Wildlife Federation is full of great folks, and they had teamed up with the New Mexico chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, for this uh, pint night situation. Anyway, I found myself speaking with a bunch of people at a brewery one night in Albuquerque and ended up in conversation with some members of the Zuni Pueblo tribe. Naturally, we started talking hunting, and one thing struck me as funny was uh, one of the guys introduced himself as a mule deer insurance man, which caught me off guard. The reason he was a mule deer insurance man is all he hunts are mountain lions and bobcats, things that eat mule deer. Uh, Another topic of conversation was in regards to hunting tradition and the fact that many Zuni hunters carry with them a personal hunting fetish. I'll let this guy Joshua tell his next part in his own words, uh, read by me. You get it. We Zunis have an oral belief that the original fetishes discovered in our homelands were of once living wild animals that were struck with arrows. These animals were turned to stone as they attempted to attack our people during our origin journey to discover the center of the world. This area is a valley basin in western New Mexico, now called Zuni Pueblo. Since then, us Zunis believe that the fetishes we carry out hunting today still hold the spirit of whatever wild animal that was entombed within that stone before it became our hunting fetishes. Thus, it is the responsibility of the artist to remove that animal from that stone and return it back to its physical being in order to aid and protect us as we carry them with us on our hunts and journeys where these same living wild animals still roam. So the the fetish that uh, Joshua gave me is this uh, bear. And he goes into really awesome detail as to why it is a bear. And on top of the bear, tied to the top of the bear, is a small uh, stone arrowhead point. This is the second part uh, of the letter here. The stone and arrowhead were both gathered from our reservation to create your fetish. The arrowhead that adorns the bear's back was collected by my father and is placed there to serve two purposes. The first is to ensure that we as hunters must always provide the quickest and most ethical means of harvesting that animal in order to minimize the suffering felt. It is also there to aid in protecting you. It reminds other predators that you too carry the ability and the potential to take life of whatever animal wishes to cause you harm. The stone was carved by a distant relative of mine, and he added some personalization to it as well. On one side of the bear, you will notice a traditional turquoise arrow line. We consider the arrow to be the heart line and serves as a reminder to us that although the bear is made of stone, the spirit and lifeline of the animal remains within. On the opposite side of the bear is a coral and turquoise star. My family is known for wearing this type of star on our traditional wares. We, again, view it as a symbol of strength and protection. The artist thought it was appropriate to add this star to your bear as another way of connecting my family to you. Well, Joshua, I really can't tell you how much this means to me. I've never really been one for gifts, so I'm taking it back to New Mexico. 
You see, about 20 minutes after this fetish and really amazing letter landed in my lap, I received a phone call from my friend Brian Broderick telling me that another good friend, Dirk Durham, a.k.a. The Bugler, had fallen and torn his shoulder in Idaho. Dirk had a Unit 13 archery elk tag for the Gila National Forest in New Mexico, which he could not use because he can't draw his bow. This scenario of having that tag in your pocket and not being able to even attempt to fill it is basically the all-time biggest gut punch for an archery elk guy. This area of New Mexico is full of elk and is downright beautiful. I felt terrible for Dirk and relayed how bad I felt to my friend on the other line. Then, old Brian said, well, do you want to go or not? 20 minutes after a real gift of a lifetime from a new friend in New Mexico lands on my desk, I get an opportunity to hunt in an elk unit in New Mexico I have always wanted to hunt. How the heck does that work? So, Joshua, I am taking my fetish back to New Mexico. It will be our first journey together. I hope I can make you and your family proud. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. 
So, we just said, so long and good luck to Elliot the Elk, he who should not be named. Let me introduce you to Broken Leg the Lion. Broken Leg lives on Santa Ana Pueblo, a 79,000-acre area located in New Mexico's fertile Rio Grande Valley. Broken Leg received his moniker by researchers who captured the cat and noticed a bulbous calcification on its right rear leg, the result of an old break. If humans use that same logic when referring to each other, then you could call me, uh, old broken nose or, uh, old torn meniscus. Oops! Biologists equipped Broken Leg with a GPS collar and kept close tabs on his whereabouts. So close, in fact, that they were able to document many of the cat's kills over a 15-month period. What they found was astounding. At the top of the cougar's menu was, of all things, Badger. Broken Leg killed and ate 24 badgers during their study, which is an average of 1.6 badgers per month. During that time, the cat also ate one mouflon sheep, one feral dog, two porcupines, eight beavers, and nine coyotes. Besides odd eats, Broken Leg killed two mule deer, two antelope, and 17 elk. Nine of the elk were calves, six were cows, and two were bulls. His diet is quite impressive. And it makes me damn jealous of Broken Leg's hunting skills. I'm willing to deem this cougar the best hunter in the American Southwest, second only to Cutting the Distances host, Remy Warren, of course. Yeah, don't get eaten. Let's uh, hope old Broken Leg doesn't run into that uh, mule deer insurance guy I was talking about. Moving on, but sticking with fractured limbs, I want to tell you about North America's most venomous caterpillar, the pus moth caterpillar, whose sting is so painful that it's often been compared to breaking a bone. The real symptoms, which somehow sound worse than breaking a bone, include burning, swelling, nausea, headache, abdominal distress, rashes, blisters, chest pain, numbness, and difficulty breathing. A hospital in Houston unwittingly created a pus moth caterpillar outbreak when they put nets around a grove of oak trees to keep out birds. The nets proved successful at keeping grackles and pigeons from swarming and pooping everywhere, but the pus moth caterpillar population exploded in the absence of avian predators. The hospital now has to decide the lesser of two evils, mounds of bird guano or venomous caterpillars. I think I know where I land on that one. The pus moth caterpillar is about one inch long and has Chewbacca-like fur that houses its venomous spines. They live in oak, elm, and wild plum trees in the eastern and southern U.S. and are particularly problematic in Texas. So much so that schools in San Antonio were closed in the 1920s to get the caterpillar population under control. Isn't that like the most Texas thing you've ever heard? While most kids hope to celebrate snow days, San Antonians are just hoping for a venomous insect outbreak. Yeah! Moving on to Dudes in Museums, or the newly established Curator Beat. Turns out, the majority of mammalian specimens in scientific collections have Y chromosomes. Museums collect specimens in many different ways, including donations from hunters. But hunters and museums have different interests. Hunters don't target animals because they're representative of the species, necessarily. Something tells me that when Teddy Roosevelt headed over to Africa for a hunt, he lined up his iron sights on the biggest individuals he could find, which generally happened to be male. Another way museums get samples is through selective trapping, which also skews toward dudes because removing males has less impact on the population. 
Point is, these collections inform all kinds of science and research, which is why this imbalance matters. Research based on only one sex might give an inaccurate picture of diet, distribution, behavior, and response to changing habitat. Imagine if future alien archaeologists studied only the males of our species to determine what human life was like. If I touch that joke, it may lose me a tooth. So let's talk about teeth. Calcified dental plaque and you. A study in the journal Archaeological and Anthropological Sciences studied the teeth of ancient human remains found across southern England. Beyond the realization that poor dental hygiene can stick with you much longer than I ever expected, the report also shows that humans have been drinking the milk of domesticated animals for more than 6,000 years. Problem is, the ability to break down lactose, sugar, and animal milk is a relatively new development. Only 5-10% to of Europeans would have been able to do that back then. So either they spent a lot of time experiencing uh, gastrointestinal distress, or they were processing the milk into more easily digestible products like yogurt or cheese. Either way, I find the idea that someone could dig up my bones six millennia from now and figure out what I was eating and drinking kind of disturbing. Think I'll go uh, floss when I finish this podcast. Sticking with our friends from across the pond, the British apparently have too many game birds in their freezers. I've personally never had that problem, but then again, I don't own a private wing shooting estate in the UK. The British Game Alliance is trying to export game birds to Japan, Hong Kong, and Canada so that shooting clubs have an outlet for all the excess animals they harvest. This strikes me as just plain wrong on so many levels, but then again, so does the entire European model of wildlife management. Pay to play means not many get to play. Here in North America, we decided market hunting is a pretty bad idea more than a century ago. Of course, we also have a whole system of public lands that any of us can access for hunting, fishing, and general good times outside. So comparing the two systems uh, doesn't really work that well, does it? Since I'm talking about our amazing lands and waters and the need to care for them, I can't ignore a pretty significant rule change that's about to take effect. The federal government repealed provisions of the Clean Water Act, citing that the regulations were burdensome for farmers, rural landowners, and real estate developers. The soon-to-be strip protections were added in 2015 to protect seasonal streams and wetlands, which offer critical habitat for birds, fish, reptiles, elk, deer, moose, and other species, not to mention they make clean water and clean air for us. Also, you know, they tend to drain into other bodies of water. The upcoming repeals will allow drastically more polluting and habitat destruction on 50% of wetlands and 60% of stream miles across the country. The rules currently restrict certain activities on private lands like backfilling wetlands and bogs, the use and dumping of harmful chemicals, particular types of plowing and planting certain crops. According to the financial analysis that the administration released, small farmers represent a tiny share of the permits this rollback addresses. The real winners are the oil and gas companies, mining companies, and real estate developers who apply for the vast majority of permits near streams, wetlands, and creeks. I, for one, stand with the 92% of polled sportsmen and women who support existing Clean Water Act protections and recognize this rule change undoes important protections. But the fact that these arguments keep getting presented as fights between landowner rights and habitat quality really ticks me off. And frankly, I call BS. Almost every single one of the landowners I know, especially small farmers, take great care to protect the resources they steward. 
Take a poll across anywhere in eastern Montana, and you'll hear this. Good grass makes fat cattle, as they say. This rule change has little to do with those folks and everything to do with big extractive and development industries. Property rights are sacred in this country, but they shouldn't extend to having the right to pollute your neighbor or pollute water that we all share collectively. What's that saying about stuff rolling downhill? If you haven't made your weekly call to your congressman or woman, this would be a great one to discuss with them. Thanks so much for listening. That's all I've got for you. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend. Tell two. Let's keep this conservation train rolling. If you have a story for me or want to tell me where to shove it, please write in at AskCal, that's A-S-K-C-A-L, at TheMeatEater.com and share, subscribe, and download wherever podcasts are downloadable and leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand star. Thanks and have a great week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.